No matter where you are, it's Texas Standard Time on the day after midterms 2018. I'm David Brown in the Texas capital city. And before we do anything else, let's check the map, shall we? Is Texas purple, you ask? Well, if you pull back a bit and cross your eyes a little, it's a little purpler, some might say. But here's where we stand. Before Tuesday, no Democrat had won a statewide race for office since, well, it must have been about 1994 or so, and that remains the case. However, as Democrats take control of the U.S. House of Representatives, the Texas delegation will be unmistakably younger, more diverse, and more female than it was. And let's look at that map again, shall we? See all those areas of blue? Those are the major metropolitan centers in Texas. Among them, the fastest-growing regions in all of the Lone Star State and, in some cases, in all the nation. We're talking about places like Houston and its suburbs, El Paso, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas. And then you see that broad stripe of blue running along the southern border. Well, this hour, we're going to unpack what happened during the midterms in Texas, what they tell us about who we are, the sort of state we're becoming, and what happens next. I'm David Brown. To help explore the big picture, we have assembled a panel of specialists. First, Valerie Martinez. She is director of the Latino and Mexican-American Studies Department and University Distinguished Research Professor in the Political Science Department at the University of North Texas, UNT. Professor Martinez, welcome to the Texas Standard. Thank you for having me, David. I'm glad to be here. Also, Gromer Jeffers. He's political writer of the Dallas Morning News. Gromer, good to talk with you. Good to talk to you, David. Hey, Valerie. Hi. And Liz Marlantis. She is politics editor of the Christian Science Monitor, joining us now from Washington, D.C. Ms. Marlantis, welcome to the Texas Standard. Good to be here. All right, let's begin with uh, what has to be one of the biggest races of the night, uh, if, uh, if not the biggest race of the night, certainly for Texans. The Senate seat held by Ted Cruz, well, he ended up winning, defeating challenger Democrat uh, Congressman Beto O'Rourke, but it was close. Uh, what, if anything, does this say about Texas's demographic? A, a slow shift? What are we looking at? Gromer, let's turn to you first. Well, what it shows first is that a well-funded, dynamic, charismatic candidate with a compelling message can make a competitor run for statewide office. Now, he didn't win, but he came close enough to, to make Republicans at the top of the ticket and down ballot shake, and he had coattails as well. And so the, the hope for Democrats is that if the demographic shifts continue to favor them, which they will, and they continue to build on, on this cycle, that the shift, the turning purple and all of that, that, that will come sooner rather than later. But, because as you know, David, there was no real hope before O'Rourke's campaign. You didn't see any real signs, but, but this was a big sign that changes are underway. But this was extraordinary when it comes to turnout. Uh, what do you think, Professor Martinez? I mean, if you if you want to turn Texas purple, aren't you going to have to have a, uh, a a willingness to vote on, on par with what we saw during these midterms? Yes, that's correct. And uh, Beto O'Rourke ran a very inclusive uh, campaign, a very progressive campaign, lots of young uh, millennial Generation Z participation, uh, certainly lots of participation by um, uh, identity groups, marginalized groups. They turned out, let me mention one thing. Uh, first of all, I agree with everything the said, but did you know that 
Beto One Tarrant County, where I live, which is one of the most conservative metropolitan counties in the country. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty significant. And I think that it does have to do with the changing demographics in Tarrant Tarrant County and Texas wide. Um, You know, Hispanics are the fastest growing population in Texas, and it's growing because of birth rates not immigration. Uh, There's a statistic that the Pew Hispanic Center puts out, which is just, think about it. Every 30 seconds, a U.S-born Hispanic turns 18. Mm -hmm. And that's the demographic that we are seeing in Texas. That's huge. Uh, Liz Morlantis in in Washington, uh, politics editor, Christian Science Monitor. Liz, uh, I think a lot of folks at the national level were fascinated by what was going on in this Senate race. What do you uh, credit that to? Is it, it Was it something about Beto O'Rourke and his charisma? Was it something about the, the fact that uh, Texas actually had a competitive race at, uh, uh, at, at that level, given the, the, how solidly red Texas has been? What, what do you think was going on there? I mean, I think a lot of it was the personal charisma of Beto O'Rourke. And, you know, it was interesting. We saw a number of um, so-called kind of viral candidates this cycle, candidates who caught the attention of the media and got a lot of um, national support, um, you know, often because of a catchy ad initially or, um, you know, just running sort of unconventional different types of campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them didn't win <laughs> in the end. Um, although, as you point out, O'Rourke's candidacy, I think, still was significant because he got so close. I think, um, in a way, expectations got ahead of where he was. And and if we hadn't had there, there was an expectation over the last week that he might be able to pull it out. Uh-huh. And if that expectation hadn't been there, I think everyone would be talking about O'Rourke as, as almost like a success at this point. Like, wow, he got that close in Texas, um, as opposed to having lost. And and there is some buzz out there. You look around Twitter, there are people calling for Beto to run for president in 2020. Although I think, you know, a losing Senate race is not the best platform for turning around and running for president. But there's no question that he captured, um, you know, the imagination of many Democratic voters. And, you know, he had people from Michigan donating to his campaign. Um, and, and, you know, that was that was clearly something. Yeah, it was an, an enormous war chest. In fact, at one point, some people were saying that uh, given his odds, perhaps he should have spread some of that money around. Uh, I, you know, I wonder what happens next for someone like Better O'Rourke, because he remains congressman. Uh, is is he, in fact, Liz, and, and anyone else, feel free to join in here. Do you think well, that this has that legs? He doesn't remain congressman no, he has for much to give up longer. His yeah. He already gave up his seat, and in fact, it was won by a Latina. Uh, one of the first Latinas uh, to go to Congress from Texas will be Veronica Escobar, and she replaces Beto in his seat out there in El Paso. So, what... so he doesn't have a, a, um, an office. He's going to be running as a, a, you know, an outsider, not a, an incumbent of any sort. But without a platform, what happens? I mean, I think about Wendy Davis and all of uh, all of the excitement among Democrats, certainly that that surrounded her candidacy back in what was it? I guess it would have 2014. been 2014. 2014, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's but a good question. this is Gromer. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, uh, but let me say, Wendy Davis was a whole different different situation. She ran a campaign based on our filibuster of an anti-abortion bill, although she had reasons for that, the closing of women's clinics and all of that. But it just never really connected with Texas Republicans and Texas conservatives. This campaign 
but we're talking about better O'Rourke a lot, but let's remember also that the president, Donald Trump, had a lot to do with sort of getting this movement, this resistance started. Uh, so, you know, we talked about the other races across the country and the other charismatic candidates. Mm-hmm. It's all a product of the reaction, the aftermath of 2016. And, and going into another presidential election, Democrats have a good chance to keep that fire burning because they're not going into another midterm where they generally in Texas have disadvantages. They're going into a presidential election where more progressives, more Democrats, more young folks vote. Uh, and, and in terms of battle, we have to find a way to stay relevant. You're right. Is it two years from now running for Senate again? Is it four years for governor? Is it president? I, I agree that losing hurts that that scenario. But we'll see. Well, you know, not not much time left, but I, I, I guess I have to ask the question that uh, that sort of framed the, these midterms. And that is, was this, in fact, at least in Texas, that referendum on Donald Trump? Well, this is Valerie here, and I would say, yes, indeed, it was. When you look at the public opinion polls, particularly that were taken among marginalized groups uh, that were, you know, that were where Trump was very unpopular, they were voting because they were angry. And so it was a referendum on him. I don't know. It wasn't just him personally, but of course, it was his policies. Immigration is a number one issue for Latinos in Texas and throughout most of the country. And of course, they were very unhappy with the actions that his administration has taken in the separation of families and children. What do you think, Liz? I would would just add, you know, voters on on both sides of the aisle said that this election was about Trump. And Trump himself said that this election was about Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he was going around rallies at the uh, in the final days of the campaign saying, I'm not on the ballot, but really I am. You know, I mean, he was perfectly happy to try to nationalize this race. And I think in terms of the way the Senate shook out, that helped. Um, you know, I think I think he he successfully that strategy was a success in terms of getting Republicans some more Senate seats. Gromer. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. There, it's a interesting battle going on between the folks who are resisting Trump's policies and Trump supporters who are still significant and high, relatively high in number. And we saw that play out in Texas. You know, O'Rourke. His campaign was tremendous, right? But, uh, you know, President, the Trump supporters, Republicans had the advantage. And that's probably why he lost. I mean, Cruz, he's not as likable as the other Republicans on a ballot. But I think when you when you talk about maybe a Greg Abbott and, and a Donald Trump, right, they probably pulled uh Cruise over the finish line, in but, my opinion. We, we, that's... I would agree. This is bad. When you, I'm looking at data, which hasn't been verified, of course, by the Secretary of State. But when you look at the breakdown of who voted, white men were 28% of the vote. White women were about 31%. The white men broke 71% for Cruz. The white women wow. broke 59% for Cruz. But among African-American men and women, mm-hmm. which together were only about 12%, they were 84 and 95 percent for Beto. Latino men, Latino women who were only 24 percent, they broke 
60 and 66 percent. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with everything that's Val- been said. Valerie Martinez, she's director of the Latino and Mexican American Studies Department, University Distinguished Research Professor, Political Science Professor at the University of North Texas. Also, Gromer Jeffers, political writer at the Dallas Morning News, and Liz Marlantis, politics editor at the Christian Science Monitor, speaking with us from Washington, D.C. There's a whole lot more ahead. Stay with the Texas Standard.